That'd be pretty good. Hey, welcome back to uh, Filled with the Spirits. What spirits are we being filled with today? Ah, liquid spirits. So, so today we're going to be filled, hopefully, with three spirits. Uh, one is the Bushmills um, Black Bush, and the second is. Um, so this is new and interesting that uh, I found today, actually. Um, and so this is a Bushmills. Uh, 12 year age statement single malt Irish whiskey and here's the interesting part it was aged in Oloroso sherry and bourbon casks before being finished in Marsala cask giving this triple wood single malt whiskey it's dried fruit and cherry flavors so I'm looking forward to trying that uh, so in case you're unfamiliar uh, black bush is um, a sherry cask whiskey. And so besides being filled with these two spirits, we're hoping to also be filled with. I'm already filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That's right. As we, as we talk, uh, <laughs> yep. as we talk about after we get done talking whiskey, we will talk about um, an interesting topic. Hopefully to you, it will be to Jason and I, whether it is interesting yep. to you as well is is another whole issue. But uh, so grab yourself a glass of preferably Bushmills. If you have something, if not, maybe another Irish whiskey. We're drinking Irish whiskey. That's today. right. And Bush if not, is an Irish whiskey. Maybe so. maybe a glass of milk, Baptist wine, whatever it takes. Yeah, you know, like uh, that. That's the great thing is you don't necessarily have to be uh, a partaker of these spirits to be filled with the same spirit that uh, that we already are filled with. So there you go. So this is the Bushmills Black Bush. This is, uh, as you said, a sherry cask. I didn't. I've had this before. I didn't realize it was a sherry cask. Which is interesting. Um, so, so they have. Um, so there's traditional Bushmills, which is a blend, okay, and it's okay. kind of their, it, it's their cheapest one. So I, I don't want to say it's the low end of their, uh, you know, series, but then they have Red Bush, which is aged in bourbon casks, okay, and then that. Black Bush, which is aged in sherry casks, and then we have this really interesting one. Um, that seems to be aged in three different cats. Well, aged in two and finished in one, but it seems like uh, it's going to be exciting and new. Yep. You're like, let's drink the Black Bush now so we can finish it. <laughs> That's right. I've had the Black Bush before. I, I like it. Uh, it's not very expensive, which is nice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So this Black Bush was pretty close to about half the price of this other bottle. So, um, so that's got like a almost chocolatey finish to it. It's sweet up front. Not a typical Irish whiskey. I mean, I guess it reminds me the smell reminds me of like spice cake a little bit. Okay. Like if you had a spice like a cinnamon apple cake or something like that? Yep, I see that. It doesn't have again I, what I call the grassy notes from Irish whiskeys. Right. I don't get that. Probably the sherry, I guess, is what's covering that. Yeah, up. May, maybe maybe the the sherry cask finish kind of changes it some. But it it has a great smell. I mean, it's still so one of the great things about Irish whiskeys that I like is how how light they are. Not, not I don't mean they they have less alcohol. I just mean they they don't dominate your palate. Yeah, you know, they're usually very light in color, which you, yeah, oftentimes light in color means light, light on your in, palate as yeah. well. Uh, this is a forty percent, so that's you know 80, is eighty proof. I guess forty percent right. eighty proof. That's right, forty percent right. is, is eighty proof. Pretty low for I'm not low, but like no, no, no. But well, here's coming the deal. coming from the bourbon world, Mo, that's yeah, low. A lot of the stuff that you buy that is just the common whiskey from a distillery is going to be. 40% ABV, right? It's their special ones where they start to amp up the ABV. Okay, so in coming from the bourbon world, that usually starts at like 90. Okay. And then, yeah, because an 80 proof whiskey or 80 proof bur bourbon is kind of like, what are you doing? Like, uh, that's not very good. Like, um, usually I'm, I'm looking at about 90 proof until you get the bottle and bond, then you're looking at 100 proof, and then just cask strength, you just go from there. Right. right? Yeah. So 80. 80 is, you, you, I don't know, I mean, I'm sure people will correct me on this. I don't know of any decent bourbons that are under 90 proof. Usually okay. if they're if they're 80, they're going to be a cheaper bottom shelf well, so, type of deal. So what I would tell you is with a lot of the European whiskeys, a lot of the common ones you're going to get are going to be 
um, they're going to be around 40% ABV. I'm pretty yep. sure Macallan 12, which is a pretty common scotch, right? Macallan 12 is the go-to scotch for people that have never really had much scotch variety. Yep. I'm pretty sure it's 40% ABV. Yeah, I was going to say like 80 to 90 proof. Yeah. Is kind of the Yeah, that's that sweet spot for most stuff. Yep. Uh yeah, if you drink if you drink a lot of whiskey, like like Jason and I may or may not do, um, you tend to start to gravitate towards um cask strength whiskeys. And so they will cask them somewhere between fifty and sixty percent ABV. By the way, let's let's make sure we clarify some of these terms. ABV stands for alcohol by volume. So 50% ABV means it's half straight alcohol and half some water-based substance, right? Um, and so, like, I would say generally most of the bottles on my shelf are not 40% ABV. Yep. Yeah, and, and typically, I guess, when you have a higher proof... Oh, okay, so like this, this 80 proof... They could put this same product out exactly the same, but do it probably at a hundred proof, you know, because it's coming yeah. out of the barrel much higher than that, right? And they're they're watering it down. Not that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Because right. you can water it down to taste. Well, um, yeah, because if it's if it's too much, well, so you and I've been through this with some some other things that we had to water down, right? Yeah, it was so it was so high. Uh, percent alcohol that you couldn't get all the flavors because that alcohol heat kind of dominated over yep. them. And a lot of times people will say, just add a drop of water. That's right. You know, and that'll, that'll be and it'll open the same it up idea because, because it just does a little dilution of the, of the alcohol so that you can yep. get the flavors that are lying there underneath. So, but my experience is a lot of the Irish whiskeys are going to be at 40% ABV and there's several yep. scotches that you'll buy. It's only when you start to buy special bottles that you get above that most of the time. And so. the, the Irish whiskeys, I typically prefer at a lower. I don't know that I've ever had a high proof Irish whiskey that I was like super happy about. Um, have you ever had the Red Breast um, cast, cast strength? strength? I have. I like the regular Red Breast more. Right. Which is odd. Yeah, because it's not odd. It, it, the reality coming from, is. Coming from bourbon, it's odd. There's maybe. not a single like cast strength bourbon that I've liked less than the. But I, I think Normal. the point of Irish whiskey is to have that lighter side. Yep. I mean, you want to taste that uh, shortbread yep. flavor, that that green apple flavor. And if it's super hot, you it, you know, it in terms that, of that alcohol, that that's right. It, it, it kind of masks that to a certain extent. I'm so getting you, some of that shortbread here yeah, now. Definitely. It's, it's, um, it's a lot softer. Uh, maybe that's the sherry. Cask. Yeah, I, I think that's the sherry a little bit that kind of like, I, I think that's what, so when I say I get a spice cake, probably what I'm getting is a combination of shortbread and like that cinnamon vanilla that you can get from the barrel sometimes. Yep. I mean, smells great though. That's a, that's a really solid bottle for the, I mean, that's what a 35, $40 bottle. I think uh, at at a liquor store that we would both consider a little bit expensive, it was it was thirty four. That's so. crazy. Yeah, that's a. Gr- I mean, that's a great a great deal if you're looking for. I don't oh, know. Yeah. Maybe- uh, that could be a daily drinker all the time. Yep. And the great thing at forty percent alcohol by volume, it's not gonna. You're not gonna get like. You're not gonna wish you hadn't drank so much unless yep. you just really drink unless you just like let's just drink much. it's yeah, thirty five right. bucks a night let's just but I mean <laughs> I could have I could have That's two of those uh, on on any given night and just be like oh that was great that was great and yep. not feel any effects of yep. it whatsoever so just to clarify those two pours not two bottles so <laughs> yes in case that wasn't no no clear. no I, I appreciate the <laughs> clarification in case people think that i'm such a lush that i might drink two bottles on two, any given two, night two bottles of the I, black. my limit is definitely a bottle and a half no yeah, matter exactly, what people exactly. say yep i'm a fan i haven't had a bottle of that at home in a while but i'll probably pick one of those up next yeah so uh for those of you who don't know the, the way we do things we, we try to do two bottles from the same distillery if possible uh so Bushmills, feel free to uh you know, to let us sample some of your other things. Uh, it was a, a couple of years ago, 2019, when uh, we flew to Germany to visit my son who's in the service. And in Heathrow Airport, they had 
a special bush mills that you could only buy in the duty-free you, section. You told me about that. I looked it up. I was supposed to be in England uh, two weeks ago. I looked it up on Heathrow's website, the airport, because you can go and check out their Were they out of amazing it? sound. No, they had it. The problem is that I ended up not being able to go. You didn't get to go. That's a shame. They canceled our shoot. And Heathrow Airport's been a mess recently. Oh, so I'm like, sure it has. Anyway, I'm excited about this. But the one you were talking about has the steamships on the front yeah, of it? Yeah, that's right. It's yep. it's the steamship collection. So, uh, man, I, I'd love to be able to sample that on air and tell people how they should go find it at the uh, duty-free shops. Yeah, so. Bush Mills, you know. This is uh, also 40%. So yeah. that's, that's nice. Same proof to test. That's right. So, so we'll have... <clears throat> the difference in flavor definitely won't be the alcohol content right and here. The so. color of these are pretty similar. Uh, yeah, That's in terms, maybe slightly yeah, this darker, is a little not, bit darker. Not, for not sure. a whole lot, uh, but but it's also in a different bottle. I mean, I, I think true. it's really unique. I, when I saw it today at the store, I was just like, "Wow, that looks interesting." I've never seen that before. I've not either, and uh, I was really excited to get it. So, ooh. I get a lot of apple smell. Yep, I was say the green apple crispiness. A lot of apple smell. I mean, not even green apple, just just apple apple, like almost red cherry apple or something. And the barrels again were the sherry and bourbon casks, and then finished in marsala. Marsala. So I, when I hear marsala, I think of the chicken marsala from the greatest Italian place in the world, which is Olive Garden. That's not true. Don't go to Olive Garden if you can go anywhere else. Okay, listen, folks. I just <laughs> want to point something out. Look, I have nothing against Olive Garden. If you love Olive Garden, that's great for you. We just have something against you. No. <laughs> Sorry, continue. I, just, I can't believe uh, Jason said the greatest Italian. It's place. not good. I mean, it's it's not good. Anyway, um, but that's we, what I think we of We have Marsala. a local place that I like to eat at because they allow me to bring my own bottle of wine. So, so I'm guessing Marsala is a wine. That's probably why they called it the chicken Marsala. It probably had a white wine sauce yes, or something. I'm sure it's a white wine, which which would explain the light and fruitiness of the taste. Very fruity. Yep. Aging something in a white wine barrel, I'm not sure. Especially after it was aged in a bourbon barrel and a sherry barrel. Yeah. Interesting. So it, it is an Unique. interesting take. It's it's like an almost an almost uh, attempt to make sure that they lightened up the flavors after they put these heady flavors into yep. it. Have you tried it yet? I keep smelling it. It smells so good. Uh, uh, yes, I have tried it. it. It's very fruity. I'm going to look up Marsala now. That's the great thing about, about uh, phones and YouTube. That's a unique... I don't even know how to describe ah, that. Ah, Marsala is a fortified wine. Does that mean like like a port? Is that a fortified wine? Uh, no. So a fortified wine, and so I'm trying to see if it's... So, generally, a brandy is when you double distill a wine, okay? So, you dis or you distill a wine, you distill any fruit, fermented fruit product, which wine is fermented grapes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's a brandy, okay? Um, but a fortified wine is when you distill some of it and pour it back into the wine so you have some mm. wine and you have some distilled flavors from the wine from the same wine mix them back that's right together. you mix them back that's together interesting. so it's usually a higher alcohol volume yeah uh you know because when you distill that's what you're doing you're basically you're boiling off the alcohol to catch it uh and so you're going to have a much higher alcohol volume so are those like dessert wines is that where they would fall under a menu if you're out somewhere fancy yeah, I, i'm not sure so i not necessarily. I just, I, I guess, I think of smaller, like higher ABV wines, a smaller. Port. It says it could be dry or sweet. Interesting. But it's produced in Marsala, Sicily. So, which is where they make the chicken that you get at Olive Garden. But, but that's it. It's it is. True. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure they don't. Pretty sure it. that's not where. No, they from. might because I'm pretty sure uh, we're gonna lose <laughs> all the Olive Garden people here. But uh, I'm pretty sure that everything Olive Garden serves was frozen. So yeah, in, in Mississippi, <laughs> <laughs> trucks to wherever you are. No, th th this is great. Like, uh, I mean, so in terms of the Irish whiskeys that I've liked, I, I I would put this bottle up there with the Red Breasts. Like Red Breast Twelve is my 
quintessential Irish whiskey. Yep. But I'd love to taste them side by side at some point. In fact, we may have to do that. We may have to get our favorite Irish whiskeys and yep. try them one after the other at some point. I had that. We had that red breast, whatever the. Uh, what was the? We just it was a couple yep. weeks ago. We did that. Um, I still have a little bit of it in there, but that was totally different <laughs> than the red breast twelve. Yeah, it it was different. But but I mean red breast twelve, um, Bushmills, um. Uh, Jameson, those are those are the quintessential. Yep. You know, I like J. So I don't I don't typically drink Jameson, regular Jameson, unless I'm. It, the nice thing about regular Jameson is if I'm at a restaurant and I want a whiskey, they have it. Uh, they, they're gonna have it. So and you don't have to pay much and, for it. And, <laughs> and I and I generally like it. It's yeah, just not I my. It. I don't have it at home. At home, I have Jameson Black Barrel because I I like that barrel candy flavor yep. that I get from it. So. Um, but th- this is pretty good. Like I, I could drink this. <laughs> it's too expensive to drink every day, but I'm not sure if I had had that in a blind tasting, I'm not sure I would have known the difference. N- no, no, I'm not sure I w- would have known it was an Irish whiskey. Oh yeah. Why is that? What, what are it, you um, sensing? I don't know how I would characterize. It's not like any scotch that I've had, but it doesn't have, I mean, again, the typical flavors that I get from a, I guess like a Jameson or a red breast. Well, like a, like a, a straight line non-specialty irish whiskey right right um because of all i guess it's because all the barrels it's been in just got so many unique extra flavors happening to it which i'm i realize we haven't really talked about much of what those are it's hard for me to characterize them i mean you're getting the apple i get a lot of apple fruity yeah yeah well i'm getting a lot of fruit on the back end almost like that uh you know when you when you finish drinking apple juice and there's just a hint of sweet on the back end, uh, it, it's almost like that. I here's what I don't get. This is a single malt. It says single malt on the bottom. I'm not getting any of the grainy effects that I'm typically tasting in single malts. Yep. And to be fair, to an extent, that's to its detriment. I like that grainy finish, that malty finish, where you can almost taste the you know the liquid grain in there oh that that's what so so i miss that it seems like the way they distill their single malt at bushmills is in an irish way they're trying to make it lighter they're not they're they're almost scoffing at those scots who want this heavy malty flavor the irish are like oh we like the light flavor you know this is like irish spring are they using a a pot still that's the typical irish yeah yeah, so, Wait, right? so pretty much every distillery in Ireland, there's only a couple actually. They all distill from the same stills, but but different companies. So like, I'm I'm going to use this. I'm going to use the still from this time to that time, right? And yeah. I'm going to make my stuff based on my recipe, and then I'll because it's all about res. It's very little about the still. Excuse me, and it's all about the recipe. In the mash, the mash right? bill going into yeah, it. but not just the percentages. It's about the actual specific grain. Like, yeah. if you and I both have a bunch of Munich malt, but you get your Munich malt from this place, it's going to taste different than my Munich malt from that place. It's like with hops, with different. I mean, beers now with their IPAs that you know you have breweries that'll have one IPA and they'll do a different hop from a different region and then it and it changes the flavor very right? different flavor yeah. yeah so so that's the way a lot of the Irish do it is it they're using the same still they just have a slightly different mash and then they finish it completely different yeah. right and that one's definitely finished completely different i'm a fan i like it i would buy it if i saw it again i've never seen that bottle no me either so we today was it. the first day. Yeah, in fact, now you know the place that I found it because I told you. Is that new place that? Uh, That's right. Yeah, I yeah. almost yeah I almost went there today. I I went there today, <laughs> so, and I'm glad that I did. And I think they were pretty excited. And the guy thought, oh, I think he wanted. So uh, they also happen to have uh, Blanton's and Eagle Rare in their little shelf with behind the window. And I think the guy was hoping to be like, ooh, look, look if, you come, if you come back enough, you can buy this. And he said, uh, "Do you like bourbons?" And I was like, "I'm not really a bourbon guy." Yep. <laughs> he, he's like, he looked, <laughs> he looked like I had just kind of barely prepped his balloon, and it just started seeping he's out like, slowly. Oh. He was like so deflated. Yep. 
I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm a Scotch and Irish whiskey guy. And I just kept going back and forth and looking. And they had some interesting looking bottles, um, you know, some stuff that you might see at Total Wine. But then again, you might it might not be there. Yeah. And oh. this is a lot closer to us. Oh, least. yeah, it's way closer. So by episode <laughs> 315 or so, you'll like bourbon. Because at some point, we're going to have to <laughs> no, try you're some right. bourbon. I, I, yeah, I, I'm thinking maybe, uh, maybe the next episode, we're going to um, have to delve into bourbon because I've, I've got a this bunch is our of... second irish the only reason we hit irish for the second time that wasn't our original plan but yeah. i found that bottle today and yeah. so it was like I'm oh glad you did uh, we, we need to try this so yeah so so i tell you what in in one of the next two episodes we have to hit some bourbon okay and, and i'm gonna have to lean on you because uh you I probably have don't like, have any at your house, no, that's right? That's not true. Okay. I have, I have. Well, so for when I come over, you've got one. <laughs> that's right. I have that old Forester's 1920. Okay, which is which is pretty decent. Yeah, but pe- it's still like bourbon. That. Yep. And then I also have the um, the Yellow Rose Outlaw Bourbon, which that's right. Which is it, it's kind of fun. Like I, uh, my wife took me on a uh, a tour of that distillery for my birthday this last year. And it, it was pretty interesting. I went in there thinking I'm not going to buy anything, but you know I'm going to ask questions and came out going, "This is great. I'm going to buy. It. Yeah, I'm going to buy stuff." And I bought, yeah, I bought money. one of their bourbons and I bought their blended whiskey, which I think is technically not a bourbon because bourbon has to be uh, more than 50% corn mash and yep. it has to be aged in a new oak barrel in the United States. And this is they they look for a certain flavor profile, but it doesn't necessarily fit the parameters to make it a bourbon so yeah. anyway well, well we'll do it at some point i got a couple of bottles of blantons that maybe at some point we'll open up Ooh. just for you i don't think i have any eagle rare at this point well, well i will not- say this i i have a son in germany and right now he sent me a picture of uh of his little whiskey shelf because we we're so i have a son who's uh in the service and uh, he'll be getting out soon and he is uh going to be sending home his it's it's Turkish marble, so it's a Turkish marble like wine rack and liquor table. Fancy. It's really cool looking. Um, I could show you a picture, but it would be rude because then the rest of these people they wouldn't be able, be able to see, see it. it. Yeah. Uh, but but on there he has he has a bottle of Blanton's that is about half empty, and a bottle of Blanton's Gold that has like one sip out of it. I have a bottle of Blanton's Gold that I haven't opened since when I went to Paris for work like two years ago. I still haven't opened it nice i maybe, did tell him we'll so he told me he can get blanton's gold so they sell it the at the liquor cow. store that he goes to all yep. the time i will i will buy one and well i just told him i said i said if you really loved your dad that's the yeah <laughs> if you really <laughs> love your dad's if, friend, if you really love your dad look if you love the podcast send that's, us that's right yeah I, I did send him uh a link to uh one of our episodes oh, okay in hopes right. that he would watch it and give me and give us send, a little feedback send so. us a suitcase filled with Trying. I told him that if he actually watched it, he had to make all of his army friends uh, like and subscribe. Okay, all right, good. So, uh, um, so yeah, we got some delicious whiskey. What yeah. else have we got on the, so, uh, on I the think, table uh, for today? So recently, we have talked about um, Genesis, about uh, the origins of of man, and and the debate between creationism at all, right? Um. And so I think today we're going to kind of book in that a little bit with uh, the talk of the end times, so, the end it, of the universe. That's right. What what is what does Revelation mean to to whom, <laughs> and and how should we interpret it, and how should we let that affect our daily lives? Now, to be fair, yep. uh, we have not spent uh, hours and hours researching this topic, so. We're definitely going on the fly. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you spent all last week reading Revelation. Uh, <laughs> Let me get my notebook out. <laughs> so, but I have not. So, with, go with, ahead. so with end time stuff, I think we did this with the the other episode. Uh, kind of recap a little bit, like what the overarching thoughts are. That there's you have your your pre mill, your post mill, and your on mill. Let, let's quantify those a little bit. So, <laughs> uh-huh. so when he says mill, he means millennial. That stands for a thousand years. Because in the book of Revelation, it says uh, Jesus shall reign on earth for a thousand years. So then there's the people who say that. So the pre-mill is, uh, I'm, I'm going to 
It's okay. Completely it's, ruined it, this. Do you yeah, have them? We, we may butcher this because we know what we believe, but we can't necessarily characterize what other people believe accurately. Yeah. So this so, is the point where so you. So if hit we're the pause saying button. it wrong, feel free to say something in the comments. Yeah. Just get us. mad. We're, we're not trying smart. to be authoritative. We're trying to give what we think they believe. So the yeah. The so basically, people, if you're pre-mill, you don't love Jesus. I think is what. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> That is not it. <laughs> That's Jason Allison, folks. Jason Allison. You can cut that so out. But there's uh, there's two versions of pre-mill. Uh, there's the historical pre-mill, and then the, then there's the um, dispensational premillennial, and those are and that means we are we have not reached the one thousand years of Jesus's reign yet. Right? I believe so. Okay, I believe so. They'll tell okay. us in the comments if that's right, wrong, but I believe course. that's correct. And then your post mill is that, that it already happened. Right, right. That Jesus' reign of a thousand years has happened, and now we're seeing the fruit of man after Jesus has reigned for a thousand yeah, years. Yeah, so the people who hold, at least the ones that I know that hold a post mill, they would say that the world is continually getting more and more, they wouldn't use this word, but sanctified. The world is getting better and better and better until Jesus returns because we are on the post end of that, right? So. And then the pre-mill people would say that the world is getting worse and worse, worse and worse. Worse and worse, yeah. Right. And then the on-mill people... Say we're in the thousand years of Jesus. Is that what right? it is? Okay. I believe that's what yeah. all millennials mean. I think most people... Not most people. A lot of people that I, I know hold the on-mill. Yeah. I know like, one like post-mill Basically, person. Jesus... Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, this is the way I expect the people of my kingdom to live. Okay? And the church, since he left, has... and and. And a millennial is not a literal 1,000 years. It's a period of time. It's someone born from like 1987 to 19... Okay. That's not right. That's right. different. Yeah, sorry. That's the different but, millennials. But that's but that's part of the conversation is, is, is it a literal 1,000 right. years or is it a figurative... I mean, it goes back to is this day in Genesis a 24-hour period? Is like what is... Yeah, but, but I think there's a distinct difference. Like... I think it's a lot easier to make the argument that Genesis is very literal. That's true. Because it's obvious that aspects of the book of Revelation. So the book of Revelation came about because John, you know, the one whom Jesus loved. That's how he was described in the gospel of John multiple times. Um, He was exiled. Is that the right word? To the island of Patmos. Patmos, yeah. It's different than Padme from Star Wars. It's a different. (laughs) Sorry, continue. Nice. Okay. So he was exiled to the island of Patmos, right? And so then he had this vision, and then that's what the book of Revelation is. The book of Revelation is his account of the vision that that God gave him or Christ gave him, you know, depending on your perspective. And so. It's obvious that some of that is his interpretation of a vision. So there's a difference between being inspired to write something and writing your account of a vision, right? I, I would yeah. say that those are those are slightly different things. And so yep. there are definitely things in, especially if you consider the book of Revelation to be prophecy, okay? I, I'm not saying you do. I'm just saying if... The book of Revelation is considered to be prophecy. That means it's something to happen in the future. And I can't imagine how a guy like John would describe an airplane. Let's let's just imagine for a moment that literally he saw a vision of of modern day. How would he describe the things that he sees today? You know, like I can't imagine that he would describe them in any way. That really symbolizes what yeah, you've we got no reference today. point. That's right. For, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, because you're talking about going from not even cart and buggy, just a donkey. <laughs> yeah how do you how do you describe a color donkey. a color that's never been made? That's like right. you can't. No. You can't. Do yes. It. Yeah. That's that's a great way. How would a blind man describe seeing a a rainbow? Right. Yeah. At once he I'm talking about his eyes have been open and now he can see. How would he describe seeing a rainbow? Well. He wouldn't know how to describe it because he has no reference point. So so it's way easier to believe that a lot more of the book of Revelation is figurative than the book of Genesis. I think that's fair. So, so, so I think that's where people struggle with, with with how much of it is literal. Is any of it literal? Yep. And, and how much of it is figurative? You know, is there this 
person known as the Antichrist or is the Antichrist the spirit that lives in all of us where we don't want to do what Jesus, you know, what Jesus requires of us? Or there's some people that say the Antichrist is the Pope. Like that's a big thing within reformed circles. Is it really? It is. It's weird, but I've I mean, never heard that before. Yeah, I hadn't either until that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big part of it. Or, or is there such thing as like the Antichrist or is it an Antichrist? Right. Right. So that's a, a lot of that. That's um, yeah. So w- would you, would you qualify yourself as to falling into one of those three camps? Because I, I wouldn't say that I fall into any of those camps. Maybe if I describe what I believe, then maybe somebody will be like, Oh, you're actually this or you're right. this or you're that. So, right. So uh, here's where I can go with that. And, and unfortunately it's somewhat of a lazy answer. I will say that I, I like grew that. up being taught that, that the end times will happen in a series of events, very similar to what happened in the book series left behind. Yep. That's what I was going to okay. say. <laughs> and so like, so but it was upon reading that book series that that I had kind of an, a personal epiphany that, first of all, like, I, I don't know how any person who understands history could not see these series of events, like, actually suggesting what's about to happen. And if you know what's about to happen, that's contrary. If you're... If you're not a believer in Jesus and you're not a follower of him, you should have no idea that that the the things that happen in the book series left behind mean that we're in the end times. I mean, right? If you knew then you you would unless certainly you're, unless you're not a believer and you just like Kirk Cameron movies, then <laughs> I forgot he did that so movie. I was thinking it. of the books, but I did forget that Kirk Cameron did I read the kids mind, series so. of the books when I was a kid. I remember being oh, freaked wow, out and be like, got to always make sure you got your clothes on right because right. they're just going to be left behind. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of legalism caught up in that. And it's a lot of you have to do this, this, and this. And I think that's contrary to the revelation I have of, of what it means to live in Christ. There are certain things he wants me to do, but... Doing those things or not doing those things don't make me more or less worthy to be part of his kingdom, right? Yeah. I mean, so if there's something, if there's a physical act you could do that could keep you out of God's kingdom, that's no different than there being a physical act you can do to put you into his kingdom, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess that adds up. I mean... That, I mean, that makes me think of like during the Left Behind series thing when that was going on as a kid. I remember hearing some friend was over and he said something about, you know, like in, in California, they uh, they put like scanners before you go into stores and it'll like it'll put the mark of the beast on your forehead. So you got to be careful where you go. And I'm thinking like, oh, right. That's not good. Yeah. It's like, I, right. I know I got Jesus in my heart and I've been baptized and all right. this. But, but like, I'd hate to get that. But if I got a scan on my forehead, that'd be no good. <laughs> Because I just won't go to California, so I've never been. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, I've been there. Uh, I haven't seen those yeah, scanners. No, that uh, doesn't happen. Maybe I have the mark, and I just don't know. So, it. so that's that's the so the left behind. I, I grew up the same thing, right? Like that was the, and I think that was big. I, again, we've talked about this before, but we grew up, I think, in similar similar circumstances, and that was the. But but we grew up more than a decade apart. So, but yes, it does show you that there's some traditional culture out yes, there. Yes, 100%. Is, that is uh, misplaced or yeah. foul, and, if you want to say that, that. That left behind perspective. So that would fall within the... the. I think that's the pre-millennial. It's the pre-millennial, but it's not the historic pre-millennial. That would be the dispensational pre-millennial. Yes, yes, dispensational. And so yeah, that's I don't only know been, what that word means, but yes. It's a lot more than just end times stuff, but like base, it's only been around for about 120 years at this point. Um, and the left behind stuff is what made it really popular. Yeah. But... That's a whole other episode to talk about dispensation. I'll be honest with you. I don't think Left Behind made it popular. Maybe it did for your generation. I think Left Behind was a quantification of the things that I've been taught. Yes, that's probably true. Because you probably had like the Charles Ryrie, like study Bible that would have been in a bunch of Southern Baptist churches at the time. And then when the Left Behind series came out, it was showing the end time side of the dispensational theology. Right. 
Um, so if we were to get into dispensational theology, there's a lot more to it, and that may be an episode worth that we would probably have to study before, but that'd be worth talking right. about at some point because it's what we both grew up in. I'm sure, right. I'm yeah, yeah. Pr- probably sure of. Probably we, sure of. In That's case not, we haven't said this before, we both grew up in what would probably be considered traditional Southern Baptist. Yep. Yeah. Okay. With uh, a church that had a pastor and a, and a body of deacons. Yep. Yeah. And and the deacons kind of were the they were kind of acting elders. Yeah, they th- think of them as almost like a a board of directors. Board of directors, good way of putting it. You know, yep. both spiritual and financial, but more financial than spiritual. And and the the pastor was the chairman of the board, who kind of was more sp- supposed to be more spiritual until the board members didn't like him or something happened. That's right, and then yep. they told him to get lost. Yeah. Yep. So, okay, so we're coming from the same. We're coming from the same background. So okay. I. This I'm sure will come out, but I've, I've, I have, um, uh, what's the word? I'm, I don't like dispensational. I grew up in dispensational theology and I have a pretty strong affinity against it. I don't know what the word is for that. Right. Distaste for it. I guess if that makes sense. Bias. Prejudice. But there, that's the word. Bias. I'm, I, I definitely have a bias to, towards that. So I know that I don't hold to the dispensational premillennial because that's more than just end time stuff. When you talk about dispensationalism, um, so, and we, we don't have to get into the deep, the depths of dispensationalism, but, uh, by the way, can I just interject for just a second? Cause I'm talking with my hands. No. Okay. Not, go ahead. I, although this is Thank a good you. chance to stop that. <laughs> so I went, I went <laughs> we're going back and forth here. Back and I, forth, I, yeah. I went from this to this. And so I didn't notice how different it was until I went back. This yeah. has a lot more caramelly kind of yes. sweetness to it. Yeah, and this is well. very right fruity. Now. Yep. This is very fruity. Almost like the difference between um like uh what's like someone from California like some or gum. someone no, no, from Texas. Some, like like some fruit gum versus some uh you know, some cinnamon gum or so something. So like the zebra yes. the zebra gum versus yes. like versus like big red or big something. Red. There it is. You know. This, don't get me wrong, this is not I, you're not getting a whole lot of sentiment out of this. I'm just saying the distinct difference yep. I agree between that. those two. So, so sorry. Keep going. Uh, so that's the pre pre millennial uh, dispensationalism, historic dispensationalism. I shouldn't even talk about because I don't quite. It's you don't know most what people it is. that fall in the circles that I hang around are either historical pre millennial, which I think my my wife would probably. I shouldn't have said that. She's gonna be listening to this. Be like, oh, I don't believe that. I think she would hold closer to that probably but i know she goes back and forth uh, i've got a friend yeah a good, kathy i just want you to know that jason said he was going to try and like throw you under the bus that's what today so. i've got a good friend who's post-millennial he might be the only person i've met in real life who's post-millennial um but he's also very charismatic and like not charismatic in like a theological way but like as a just a person you know, oh, say I that, see. so like he, he has makes a charismatic me, personality yeah so he makes me want to believe that just because of who he is um anyway and then i think a lot of people that are in my circles are probably Amil. Um, what I believe about the end times, I've never heard anybody else say it, so it can't be right. Um, or nobody else as smart as me. So I think, I think that the book of Revelation is intentionally difficult to understand. I think it is in the same way that you have the Old Testament saints who are writing scripture and they're foretelling the the coming of Christ. Right. But they don't really understand that. So they, I think that's the same sort of thing that's happening is we are not meant to understand revelation until Christ returns. And then it's like, Oh, that all makes sense. Right. So when you see in Isaiah where it's talking about what now you're like, Oh, that's clearly just talking about the crucifixion of Christ. Right. Like this, I understand what you're saying, but at the time, I had, had no idea. N- had what no he was concept about. of that's what it was. Right. It was the Holy Spirit working. Well, I think that's he, what's happening. He might know that that there had to be some event of sacrificial value, but he yeah, didn't but, know what it actually meant. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Okay. Like, could, no way he knew all of those details lined up with all these other things, right? And we see that in in is it in Hebrews that that talks about how that, that describes that how how the Old Testament saints were writing about things that were not yeah. revealed to them until later, that's right? And so I think that's what's happening in Revelation is it's intentionally difficult to understand. The way I like to describe it is it's shrouded in mystery. Yeah. Uh, I, I think intentionally so that we, not that we shouldn't study it, right? Of I think I think it's good should. to study it, but I don't know that it's healthy to land anywhere on it. And uh, 
people from all aspects of like pre-mill, post-mill, all-mill, they're all yelling right now. They're like, no, you don't understand. Like, would you study this much? I'm just saying that I, I think that's what the point of it is, is that we should still be studying it. We should still, be, like, it should point us to Christ. By the way, that was not my dog, in case you heard that. Yeah. So keep going. I'm so sorry. It was my dog and my baby that's been making noises in the background. <laughs> um, I, I think that's the intention of it, right? I think it's supposed to... I, I think it's not revealed to us now. I think when Christ returns, we'll see it. We'll see it in the same way that I look at the Old Testament and I, I'm talking with my hands like crazy today. You've been talking about how I always. Yeah. In, in case you don't realize, uh, I, as a teacher, I didn't realize how much I talked with my hands. So I told Jason after watching a couple episodes, oh, I got to like stop talking with my hands. And, and the like, irony let me do is, it. let me do it Jason for you. Is, yeah, he's. Um, I'm landing projecting a, plane. a little bit for me. So, yep. so, you know, here's what's, here's what I think is interesting about what you just said. I said basically the same thing about the book of Genesis that, that you're missing the point. It's, it's supposed to be ambiguous to a certain extent and that having an exact huh. fixation on what it means is not the point. That's interesting. I mean, do, so do do you recall me making those points? Yeah, no, points? that's exactly what I'm thinking about now. Now I'm, I'm thinking to myself. I was like, why? Why do I think that about Revelation? I've never put that thought into Genesis, but it's 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 interesting. I mean, Be, because at the end of the day, we are not. It's not important for us to figure out exactly what actions happened before. There are certain actions that we have to believe actually literally happened. Uh, crucifixion resurrection but there's a lot of a lot of actions that could be somewhat symbolic and it's okay for us to not necessarily believe they're literal it it doesn't mean they weren't literal it's just beyond the point yeah and it goes back to like ultimately we should be looking at scripture not tradition that's right to, to tell us what those things are right so yeah i mean i think i think as long as we are reading the word, trying to understand the word, then that is the ultimate, ultimate, you know, I've often thought that the letters to the, to the seven churches, right? So, uh, Jesus writes letters to the seven churches and Paul, I'm sorry, John quantifies those letters in scripture, right? Yep. And I think it's interesting. Maybe, maybe that was meant for the seven churches as they were in, I don't even, sorry. 80, have, 60. I yeah, have no okay. idea. I was going to say, I mean, it's, it's somewhere in the latter portion of the first century, right? Yep. Somewhere between 60 and 90 AD. I'm so Yeah. AD. That's right. Uh, so, so John's an old man. So, so maybe those letters are literally for those people or maybe they're for the seven types of Christian believers that exist throughout the entirety of Christendom. I think there are definitely people that at times they can be part of the elect. We've talked about the elect in previous episodes. They can be part of the elect and still be Laodicean. They yeah, still, there's, there's definitely the, the aspects of, because each church has its own thing that it's dealing that's with. That's right. Each one church of them, has One of them is like, good job, but the others that's are right. like, you're not good at these that's things. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and so I, th- I think I've often thought, oh, he's describing different aspects within being a Christian there there is one of each of the seven churches in your church in fact there's probably multiples of each of the seven churches in your church because he's talking so so that's the way I perceive some of that stuff he's talking to us individually about our own shortcomings with regard to how we love him and worship him and follow him yeah and and so when you get so focused on well, I can't wait for this event to happen because I know that means these series of events will follow or I can see in the past where these events have happened. I you're you're missing the point. The point is yep. that the book of Revelation like the entire Bible is telling you how to follow Christ better. Yep. You know, cuz th- probably the most profound thing is the idea that you need to you know 
no man knows the day or the hour of his return, right? So the idea is to live every minute like he could be back. Like, are you always doing things that if he showed up right then, you'd be okay with him seeing? I, that To me, that's the overarching idea is that you're, you're refining your actions and your thoughts by this idea by the by the ideals of these seven churches and by the ideals of what if he showed up in the sky right then mm-hmm. and now that that doesn't preclude the idea that he will show up in the sky at any moment and quite frankly i i'm totally okay with that idea <laughs> I, i'm not telling you that that i ascribe to the uh in fact i i will definitively say i don't ascribe to the way the left behind series assumes the end times will follow. Um, I think there's certainly some good contextual evidence to suggest that John for a portion of his um, revelation was talking about the current Caesar of Rome. And, and, so it, you could make a really good contextual argument that that was the antichrist that he was talking about, yep. but that, that, that antichrist lives on in the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> Not my words. Well, well, I know I didn't say it. <laughs> so I appreciate you turning off all our, all of our Catholic brethren. <laughs> I hope, I hope you understand. He says that tongue in cheek. Uh, I don't hold to that. I just, I, I do say I seriously, gotcha. there are, there, there are, are people, people within the reformed tradition. I don't mean Baptist reformed. I mean like actual reformed Presbyterian tradition. Uh, so, so hold on. That. You should define what reformed means. Cause I don't we think this we've up. actually addressed we, it. Yeah, we were, Did you right. say the word? Yeah, I did. We brought this up previously where I was like, well, I'll have to talk about that later because I don't like the word reform. Okay. Uh, yeah, again, bias showing, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, you're biased. So re- there, <laughs> there's reformed in the reformed tradition typically would be the um, people call themselves reformed Baptists. There's no such thing as actual reformed Baptists, right? When people say reformed Baptists, they mean Calvinistic Baptists. Right, that's what they mean. Yeah, but reformed has a lot of other things that go with it. Um, there is a, I'm sure people, if, I love the sound of that. I'm sure, I'm, so sorry. I'm sure people listening to this uh, are familiar with the group that shall not be named, as it is called on Facebook, but there's a, this Facebook group called the Reformed Pub. Uh, it started out as a podcast guys talking about beer and Calvinistic theology. One was a Baptist, one was a Presbyterian. Uh, one of them, the one that was a Baptist wait, became wait, a Presbyterian. Wh- this why is this related. Have not been invited on that show? Oh, it is so bad. Oh, the show, I don't oh, think, I don't oh, think the it's show, bad? It's no, no, not no. good? No, the show was fine. I don't think the show exists anymore. The, the oh, okay. Facebook group is not oh, good. Okay. I, I left. I couldn't handle it anymore. And I can take a lot. Uh, I just, I couldn't <laughs> handle it. Anyway, so, all of this may seem not related, but the point is I didn't under, I guess what I'm trying to get at is I didn't understand what reformed meant. Reformed to me just meant Calvinistic. Right. right. Um, I'll be honest with you. That's what I assumed you meant. And honestly, that's what it means to most people in our circles okay. in Baptist circles. That's okay. all it means. If you say reformed outside of a Baptist circle, there's all of the things that people assume mean with it. Like one of them is the, what the less orthodox maybe no so like this this the what do they call it the two cv a second commandment violation so that means like you can't have pictures of jesus because it is breaking the second commandment because you're showing a picture you shouldn't make more orthodox orthodox yeah, i mean it's wrong orthodox meaning meaning bias, like sorry. literal or or um kind of i don't think that's literal legalistic that's, legalistic would be fair that's that's a word i would use they would not like that word um, uh, that's okay I, i'm okay with them not liking yeah, that word fair enough. I mean. if you're listening if I, you're still listening i'm sorry uh, but th- that's one of the things that like i'd never heard of that before the second commandment violation so that they would see the second commandment as meaning you can't have pictures of jesus i remember i got in trouble once because i i i got on photoshop i opened up a blank white document and i put a little black dot and then I posted it and I said, this is a picture of Jesus blinking in a snowstorm. And uh, like he's covered in snow and, and whatever. And they freaked out. They banned like they I got put on like a three day mute. They took the post down because it was a picture of Jesus. 
Okay, I just want to point out right now I have a tear running down my cheek. Okay, good. I'm just kidding. Uh, so so th- th- this, I'm getting way beyond the point. The point are. is, reformed. The re- reformed means uh, other things than what we think of. So there's it's the reformed okay. tradition, and it, including like uh, infant baptism, all of that stuff. Okay. When you're talking about a reformed church, but in Baptist circles, reformed usually just means Calvinistic. Calvinistic. And yep. anyway, that um, that would be my expectation. If you told me that your church was reformed, I would assume that's just. A nice way of saying you're Calvinist, and that's in in Baptist circles. That's what everybody is meaning. But but outside of Baptist circles, you're saying it has a broader context. Yes, if you were to if you were to be hanging out with a Presbyterian and you say that you're Reformed, and they didn't know you were Baptist, there's going to be a lot of other assumptions that go with that. I see. So because so of that, they're going to think. <laughs> ironically enough, we'll use this word that we used in a recent episode. They're going to think you are super fundamentalist about certain things. Uh, yeah, or or that, or that whether it's fundamentalist or not, it's just that reformed means more than Calvinistic. Okay. It means these five, six other things as well. Right? Okay, fair um, enough. Anyway, sorry that was, I, I that it's was okay. again bias. I mean, I, look, I, clearly my bias is showing. <laughs> I, I had I had some not great. Ex- Your bias is showing. Yes. Stop it, Jason. Stop it. Anyway, uh, where were we going with that? The what, what, this what, is what, the point of the podcast where we wish we had a producer that could yeah, get us Yeah, they'd be like, oh, this is where you were. We yeah, Google this. So, uh, um, so uh, yeah, we yeah. talked about ref- ref- reformed. I think a lot of the reformed people are on mill that we were talking about in okay. times. Um, I, I, I was pointing out that I think when you try to ascribe specific actions to uh, specific parts of the scripture, you're missing the point. Yeah. So, and from there, you jumped on the reformed aspect. But I, th- I think what you're really trying to suggest is they have very specific, almost legalistic beliefs. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if legalistic is even the right word. It's just different beliefs. Like I think okay. I see the way that they interpret infant baptism. Right? There's plenty of people who listening to this are going to hold to infant baptism, and that's okay. You're still a believer. We can still fellowship together. Sure, of course. Probably going to go to a different church because we're not going to baptize babies. Right. Because the Bible doesn't say you should. Um, but the point is, like, that's Jason okay. Jason Allison <laughs> in Missouri City, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so you, you can cut that out, Jason. <laughs> you're giving away my address. So the 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 point is, we can still fellowship together, right? But there there are ways that we're going to interpret things differently, and um, but the, the reason I brought I don't know why I brought up the reformed thing, but it, it came up again. Whatever. I don't like the word reformed because I think it does hold connotations that are different depending on the circles you're running in, right? Well, you know, that's real similar to the word fundamentalist. So in in a previous episode, we talked about Genesis, and I said I'm a fundamentalist, and Jason off air was like, dude, you don't believe anything that the fundamentalists believe. And so it's all about how you contextualize the stereotype that goes with the word, right? Yeah, if we're not defining our terms, then it can get... I mean, so that's what happened with the Calvinistic thing, right? Is like, we have different interpretations of what that means. Right. In fact, it's why you think most Christians are actually Calvinists. They just don't know it. Because they, they refuse to be defined by the caricature that is the term Calvinist. Yeah. Uh, but they ascribe to most of the basic principles that Calvin put forth yeah. uh, in his beliefs. Yeah, so. that's that's probably fair. And yeah, uh, one last thing that I would want to say that is not important at all, but it's just a pet peeve of mine is since we're talking about revelation, when people, <laughs> this is not related at all. When people talk about uh, the Lord's day, people refer to Sunday as the Lord's day, right? Have you heard that before? Sure. Uh, yeah. That shows up. That's in, why we, in theory, we worship on Sunday. Um, yeah, because people decided that we should call that the Lord's Day. Right. And it only shows up in Scripture one time, and it's in the book of Revelation. And it's when John is having his vision. He's caught up in a in a vision on the day of the Lord, the Lord's Day. So, like, that's the only time we see that right. phrase. So, so it's not necessarily any specific day of the week. It's, it's in, in fact, it could simply be the one day in history that is the Lord's or day. it could be that he's having this vision about the future when Christ returns. That's what I mean. Which is the day. Of, yeah, exactly. Which is, the, which is that one day in history. Which could be a Tuesday. Like, I right. Mean, right. Anyway, it's some one day in history 
that could be the Lord's day. Yeah. Or, but it probably doesn't refer to a regular day of the week that is supposed to be the Lord's. So there, day. there is tradition. I'm not saying we shouldn't meet for church on Sundays. I think there is a tradition of that. I don't. Sure. I think there's freedom to not to not. Well, do I that, mean, like when 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 God says, you know, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Oh, that's the next episode. Uh, Let's <laughs> get on that. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> but but I mean. You know what is the Sabbath? It's is the Sabbath? Uh, is it a Saturday? I mean, in Spanish sab- s- sabado is. I mean, it's literally that's how you say Saturday. Right. I I understand. Oh, sorry, I can appreciate that, that Spanish people interpret <laughs> that uh, as such. But but my point is, like again, we're talking about taking things literal versus understanding the intent behind them. Yeah. Which I, you know, I, I guess it's what, not- what if what if in modern times, my schedule dictated that it, we're chasing a rabbit a little bit here, but which is fun. It, it, it is. Uh, I like rabbit. It tastes good. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> but it, if my schedule dictated that I worked, um, Wednesday through Sunday, and every every Monday. I spent the entirety of the day worshiping God because that was the first day that I had to rest, to worship God or, or even, even better on every Monday, I took care of all the stuff around my house. And on, on Tuesday, after I've worked six days hard because I'm doing everything as I do as unto Christ, if I sat there and worship Christ on Tuesday Am I sinning because I'm not able to worship with a group of believers or even better yet? What if I find another group of people who also worship on Tuesday and we're all believers? I really I, want to answer this. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think it's, it's definitely, it's a, definitely a good conversation. That should 100% for later. be the next conversation. That's right. That's right. Uh, I, I will say that. So my, my, my issue with saying, the Lord's Day, which again, this is not important by any means, right? You can call it that if you want. Um, I just, it's weird to me that we started calling Sunday the Lord's Day when, as far as I can tell, so it's only in Scripture one time, and it's only in Revelation. And as far as I can tell, there's n- there's no suggestion that it's even a Sunday. Like maybe it is, but it, right. to me, it seems like he's talking about the like on the, the day, day Christ of, comes, the back. day of the Lord when, when right. Christ returns. So sure you can call it that, but it seems weird to me that we're calling it that because we think it was a Sunday. And then now that's the, whatever. right. Well, what's that's a different conversation from so the Christian Sabbath, which is, it, it's a good like a lot of the Bible people will preempt the actual meaning so they can co-opt it to mean what they want it to mean. And they're justifying. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are certainly, instances of people using the Bible appropriately, but there's also plenty of instances of people co-opting the Bible to say what they want it to say. It's only happened once or twice in history. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, all right. Uh, I really want to do another episode and talk about the Sabbath now, but I won't, <laughs> I'm going to try to hold it in. Well, that's sounds a good, that's like, gonna be a fun uh, sounds like uh, you guys should tune in for our next episode. It sounds like uh, we're going to talk about uh, the Sabbath. And Sunday, maybe, uh, maybe it won't be chronologically our next episode, yeah, but uh, but we'll talk talk about it soon. It sounds like a a fun discussion topic, especially for a guy who has apparently taken a Nazarite vow and then drinks whiskey. Besides that, um, <laughs> I'm go knock over some pillars. I don't think so. No, but, okay. uh, anyway. Um, I, I will tell you all this one time. Uh, so I used to be on church staff. This, this is a funny anecdote. Okay, I like those. And and you can always cut it out if you need to, nope, Jason. it's staying in. Um, so I used to be on church staff, and I would get to church very early when I was on staff. And one day it was just me and the pastor. And, and, and uh, we used to like to, in a loving way, trade barbs. Trading barbs can be, especially among men, can be a loving way to a kind of, of en- spar. En- endearment. That's right. And I said something and I don't remember what I said, but I zinged him. It was it was a zing and he knew he was zunged. He got zunged. That's right. Okay. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, Now I know what the Philistines felt after they faced Samson. And I looked at him and I said, How? He goes, 
slain by the jawbone of an ass. <laughs> and uh, that was, uh, you know, <laughs> I like. That. I, I don't know what else to say. I was, I was dumbfounded. He had that ready for any time. He <laughs> had of course, he did because that fits but with everything. It yeah. was great coming from my my lead pastor, my senior pastor, because I had never expected such such a thing, That's and funny. it was so poignant. Uh, because in that moment, I was an ass. <laughs> you got zoned. That's what happened. <laughs> That's right. He he did what we like to call he doubled down on, on the zing. Mm. So. Uh, so nonetheless, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe next time or sometime soon in the future. We'll be talking about the Sabbath and what that means. Sounds yep. like uh, an interesting conversation between Jason and I. And uh, don't forget that, uh, to be filled with the spirit and also from yes. time to time, some other spirits. spirits. So, that's right. Filled with the spirit. Power. <laughs> I will right, we'll see you. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>